Hello, loyal listener. I'm excited to introduce you to a new podcast series I've been working on for quite a while, actually. In addition to our regular weekly episodes of Startups for the Rest of Us, I want to give you an inside look at the struggles and the triumphs of a handful of founders who are part of the current batch of my accelerator. Join me as I have raw, transparent conversations about what it's like on the inside of an early stage startup. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Tiny Seed Tales. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. For the next several weeks, we'll follow a founder through his struggles, victories, and failures as he builds his startup. Today on the show, I interview the founder of one of nine startups chosen out of nearly 900 applicants for this year's Tiny Seed Accelerator Batch. I'm Craig Hewitt. I'm the founder of Castos, podcast hosting and analytics. Like many entrepreneurs, Craig has followed a unique path. He quit his corporate job in the U.S. about three years ago, and he and his wife decided to travel for a few months through Europe. Landing in Annecy, France, they fell in love with it and decided to stick around. Was any piece of your decision to to live in France uh, kind of geo-arbitrage? Meaning, is it cheaper to live there than where you were living before? Uh, no, very much the opposite, okay. actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we live about... 30 miles from Geneva, Switzerland. So we're like a suburb of the most expensive place in the world, literally. Wow. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. So that's not what <laughs> the typical bootstrap path is to move somewhere cheap, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You've done the opposite. But the interesting thing is your decision is to put, really to put your kind of your family life and your lifestyle ahead of of the other decisions, right? It's to deal with maybe some time zone issues um, or, or whatever other you know language barriers and just living in a foreign country comes with a certain amount of friction, but you're willing to do it for your, your family. Is that right? Yourself and your family, I suppose. Yeah, totally. totally. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, we, you know, we kind of happened to end up exactly where we are. Um, and then once we got here and got settled, we made a bunch of friends. Our kids have a bunch of friends, you know, three years in now. My son is six. He'll turn seven in a couple of weeks, but he spent half of his life here. And so this is really like where he's from. And so my wife and I are very much like we can move every couple of years and just perpetually be doing this. And we're at the point now where we say like, okay, we, we live here and we're probably going to buy a house here and stuff. Um, and kind of, I don't want to say got stuck living here where from a, just from a financial standpoint is not the best place to live, but everything else about it is wonderful. Um, So I say it's the tax I pay for for living in such a great place is stuff like time zones, language barriers, and cultural stuff. But everything else about it is absolutely amazing. It's like paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Craig was in Annecy when I spoke with him on June 24th. Craig's focus is marketing and sales, not software development. So we needed to hire a developer to get Castos off the ground. The biggest challenge is really twofold. One is just having enough time and money to, to pay someone to build it for you. Uh, that That's hard. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have been running a productized service kind of on the side and very much on autopilot that has provided me all the personal runway I need uh, and some money to, to pour into Castos in the early days before we had any customers. Um, but even then, for the first six months after we launched, I was leaving all of the money in the business. And we were growing at you know a pretty good rate, even even early on, like $1,000 a month. Um, and so I think you know when you start, if you're not a technical founder or you don't have a technical co-founder, you have to basically assume it's going to cost you a bunch of money and you're not going to make anything personally for a year. Yeah, that's a big sacrifice to make. That is an advantage for sure that 
I think technical teams, you know, or a technical founder has is that while nights and weekends suck, they're free in essence. You know, there's a to- there's obviously a price on your family or on your health or on your sleep or whatever, but it, you don't need twenty, thirty thousand dollars to get a SaaS app out the door. Craig launched Castos in May of 2017, and since then has grown the service to 1,300 monthly paying customers. He has a small remote team with two full-time developers, two part-time developers, and a part-time customer support person. Now he's on the hunt for a full-time marketer. Castos applied and was accepted into the current group of tiny seed companies, nine founding teams that are receiving funding, community, and mentorship over the course of the 12-month accelerator program. What made you decide to apply? <laughs> tough uh, tough yeah, question. So complicated question. Very complicated question. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we we're, we've been doing well. Uh, it's we're a, a profitable, growing business. You know, profitable, paying myself and our team and money and you know, in the bank and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the decision to 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 raise some money, you know, isn't really how I look at it. I guess like we didn't join Tiny Seed to raise money. That's a nice thing that comes with it, but we joined Tiny Seed to be part of an accelerator and be kind of like quote on the map, if you will. Um, and I think that it's been really successful from that perspective alone already. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean I think uh, maybe it's a little unintended, uh, or maybe not what I expected, but the the accelerator part of Tiny Seed has been the best part for me. So being in the Slack channel and on calls is is just amazing. I mean, I think part of the part of the difficulty that that we go through as like bootstrappers is you're literally all alone, right? And like, yeah, you might know other people that are kind of going through the same thing or whatever, but um, to be in a community of like minded people, and by like minded, I mean like people that are taking this really, really seriously and want to grow as fast as possible, um, is really, really something. And so I think I think if you ask other people in in the group, I think they would probably say the same thing. It's like, yeah, maybe I need some money to to live off of, or this would help us, you know, uh, grow faster than we would have otherwise in terms of headcount. But but I think they probably would say this is like a chance to be a part of a group and learn from folks like yourself and other people who are like the best in the industry at whatever they do, uh, and have access to resources that are unmatched pretty much anywhere else um, is like the huge upside for me. Craig has been feeling good these past few weeks. Last week, they passed a monthly recurring revenue or MRR milestone. They've also turned the corner on a few months of slow growth. And Craig is happy that new experiments have been driving that growth. So it sounds like was your biggest win last week hitting that MRR milestone? Yeah, totally. Yep. And were you anticipating that this this moment was coming, like a few days in advance of like, man, I hope we I hope we hit that that nice round number. There's a lot of zeros after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite exactly, you know, there's like a 21 or something after yeah. it. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew that it was coming. It, it's funny, MRR kind of isn't straight. It goes up and down actually by day. And so, um, yeah, it was, you know, really close one day and then down and then back up and over the, over the mark the next day. Yeah. And when you're, so you log in and you're looking at this number, like what's, what's going through your head? You know, is it, is it a celebration? Do you think all the way back this three and a half years of like, wow, I'm here, or is it just a momentary high five to yourself and then you move on? It's a little bit of both. Like I, I kind of mentally high for emotionally high five myself. And then I think, um, 
there was a, a term that my my boss used in corporate life when we were uh, kind of negotiating some of these big big deals. I was in like enterprise level sales, and and his his saying was, "You should expect to be here. Don't be glad that you're at the table. You know, the final two companies negotiating for a deal. You should expect to be here." And so I I take that into our world now and say I expect us to grow and I expect us to be successful, and when we are, it's kind of validation of that. And when we're not, it's really hard because we have had a lot of success so far. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I said. It's like, that's awesome. I'm glad we're there. Kind of like I knew we would. It was just a matter of time. And now I really look forward to like the next big milestone, you know, sometime later this year, hopefully. But this week, Craig ran into something that illustrates one of the hardest questions to answer in the early days of building a software as a service or SaaS product. The question is, how do I know who to listen to? Every customer has an opinion. Some might want a super specific dashboard setting. Others might not like the way you've organized the application, or they need a specific feature in order to use it. And you have to decide what gets modified, added, and subtracted with every iteration of your product. You're constantly looking at a large number of data points from potential customers, current customers, canceled customers, and making decisions based off of those data points. This is complicated by the fact that sometimes a customer can also be a friend. Craig's actually lucky in the sense that most of his 1,300 customers are people he doesn't know. So when they don't like the product, he has the separation of not knowing them personally, and he's able to objectively decide if he should take their feedback into consideration. But that all changed this week. We had a, uh, a customer sign up that I know personally that... Uh, gave it a try for about a week and came to me and said, Craig, that you guys just don't have some of the things we need. And um, it had very admittedly is outside of our wheelhouse. And um, that was hard because I know the person and then to hear from someone you know that like, hey, your stuff is great, but it's not that great. Uh, yeah, emotionally was really hard. I can imagine. Because you say, what the fuck, man? Like you, you should have my back all the way. And then I look at him and say, if it was me, if the shoe was on the other foot, I would say I would I would use your tool, all things being equal. Um, and that's what they're saying to me. Yeah. Right. That they that they have needs that are different than what, what you have. Yep. Yep. So there's there's like a one two punch with this then, right? One is someone has said your tool isn't isn't good enough for it. It doesn't do what I need. And the two part of that punch is that they're your friend, right? There's someone who really, yeah. you know, wanted to use it and you feel like should be able to get value out of it. Yeah. So that was tough. Um, and then, and then I got thinking like the nature of our tool is really, um, you know, self-service. I don't say the term transactional in a bad way, but you know, people show up and buy and sign up and churn and all that. And I don't know most of our customers, the vast majority of customers, I don't know. It's not like I built this on my personal brand or something because I don't have a huge personal brand, I don't think, which is cool that we've been able to build it this far. And I think that for sure, this is the first time I've known someone that uses our tool that didn't like it. So it's the first time I've kind of been faced with this. Most everyone else that you know I know uses it and likes it or I don't know them and whatever, they might like it or they might not. And that's just what it is. So that's the first time I've kind of run across this. And I said in my mind, yeah, you, you know, 
can't you just use it? Because <laughs> it, it works perfectly fine. It might not be exactly what you're looking for, but it works perfectly fine. Um, and then I said, this is one data point, right? This is one data point, and it might be an indicator of more people's sentiments around this, and it might not. Um, but I, I probably shouldn't let this one instance and point in time affect like my mindset overall. And uh, and certainly not like where the product is going. Cause I think like a big part of this is like, know who you are and what, what your tool is for and try to stick with that as much as possible. Cause there's a ton of noise around, you know, like the squeaky wheel, uh, saying, Oh, your thing doesn't do this one edge case that I really need it to do. And they, they pitch a fit about it. And you, you, a lot of times can and should just say, you're right. It doesn't do that thing because it does these 800 other things really well. And, and when it's, you know, like uh, in a vacuum, that's really easy to say when it's someone you know, I mean, it's a little harder, but it, but I'm trying really hard to, to stick with like, yep, I hear you. That thing is not like perfect. It's on our roadmap. Maybe it gets bumped up our roadmap a little bit, but objectively, I know we have several other really important things to do to make everyone in our platform and, and a ton of other customers a lot happier. And, and that has to take priority. Do you see what he did there? It's hard to do, but he's smart to think about it this way. It's easy to take a single piece of feedback and use it to justify a five-alarm emergency that shakes your confidence and has you nuking your product roadmap. So much of the time, being a founder means making hard decisions with insufficient information. So the idea is to gather the data you can from your leads, your customers, and your cancellations. You analyze it, compare it to your current roadmap and your vision of the product, and then decide how to move forward. This is especially hard in the early days when you have so few data points to go on. With more customers, you get more feedback. And although everything does get noisier, in my opinion, this part gets a lot easier. I'd like to hear about the biggest challenge that Castos is facing right now. What can you tell me about that? So I think the biggest challenge we're facing right now is hopefully one will wrap up in the next month or so is hiring this full-time marketer. So the, the challenge with it is not hiring a marketer because that's easy. It is, this is the first time I've ever hired someone in a role that I could do that will be better than me. And that, I don't know, that might seem like a weird thing, but um, you know, hiring a developer when you're not a developer is easy. You say, can you build this thing? <laughs> Are you reasonable? And can you communicate with me? Um, and that, that makes it pretty easy, right? But but to say like, I want to hire a marketer and I'm like a marketing guy is hard. And then to say, I'm not going to hire some low level marketer. I'm going to hire like a, a mid to high level, like senior level marketer that knows a lot more than I do um, is intimidating. And, you know, it's funny, I don't, I don't get nervous about podcast interviews or meeting people in person or anything like that. But I was nervous in my first interview with someone today, like video, video call after like two rounds of questions and stuff. And I was nervous before. So I was like, if this is the person we need and I screw and I screw up the interview and they think I don't have any idea what I'm talking about, then I will have, you know, botched this. Um, so that's, that's a, a whole nother phase of my entrepreneurial life that I've never, never had to, to pat, you know, cross yeah, before. Yeah, that's interesting. So you, tell me again, why, why you were nervous? Is it that you feel like you almost have to sell them as much as they have to sell you and convince them that it's a good opportunity? That, definitely that. Because I think if you don't have to convince 
someone to join your company, then you're you're probably not getting the right person. Um, but also just making the right decision. You know, how what kind of questions am I asking this person and in what way to to bring out the the real essence of them and the work they do and stuff like that to to allow me to make the right decision with this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's hard because if you go into the interview and you ask a bunch of questions and you realize later that you didn't get the info you needed, you kind of feel like an idiot saying, hey, let's chat again for 20 minutes so I can ask you these other two questions, right? right? right. You could obviously do follow-up yeah. interviews and you can do multiple rounds, but when it's just one or two questions, it can be it can make you look like you don't know what you're doing. Yep, yep. And if it's that person that you need to sell for them to join your team, they need to get the impression that you have your stuff together. Yeah. And so how do you, going into that, how do you show up and, and demonstrate that you do have your stuff together? Like what steps, you know, did you take or what was your thought process to, to get, get on that call and be like, you know, yes, I'm going to ask questions, but I'm also going to show you that, that I have my stuff together. So I had, uh, I had a list of about 10 questions that I wanted to ask most of them. Uh, and it was a little, you know, flexible depending on how the conversation went. I didn't feel like I had to get all 10 of these questions, but I definitely wanted to, to nail a couple of them that, that talked mostly about mindset and attitude. So I think that's really, really important. I mean, we all can learn and we all, if we're like capable, ambitious people can figure everything out. But if you don't have the mindset of like growth and ambition, then you're going to struggle. And so I put, I put together all these questions. I reviewed them with some of the people I know that are really kind of senior level marketers uh, and asked, you know, hey, do you think this will suss out the, the things that you know I should be looking for? And, and, and just kind of went through those questions and not really a script, but guided the conversation a little bit there. Um, and then recorded the calls, which is important because then it takes some of the emotional stuff out of it. Um, and knowing that I can go back and just watch them all later and I don't have to take notes to remember who did this or who came from where. So Yeah, that makes sense. You, when you say it takes the emotional stuff out of it to have a recording, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think that for me, um, hiring is really subjective. And to have the recordings, I can I can have the the subjective emotional part of it during the call uh, to kind of participate on that level. And then later I can go back and say, do they check this, this box? Do they check this box? Did their answer to this question, like this really important question, is it satisfactory? Or did they kind of dodge the question because they don't know what they're talking about? So I can be really more like critical after, after the call. Craig is taking a hard but important step by hiring a senior level marketer. I'm curious to see where it takes Craig and Castos and how it changes the makeup of his team and where it sends his company. We'll cover that in the coming weeks. Stay tuned as I follow up with Craig in our next episode and we continue delving into his biggest struggles, victories, and failures. Next week on Tiny Seed Tales. 